Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of A Mic on the Podium with me, Michael Seal. Before we start, I want to thank my latest Patreon subscriber, Howell, for his support, as well as all my other Patreon subscribers. If you would like to support the podcast financially and gain access to exclusive companion mini-episodes, articles, group Zoom meetings, two brand new series of interviews, or even conducting lessons from me, head over to patreon.com forward slash a mic on the podium, where you'll find six different levels of subscription starting at just £5 a month. Alternatively, go to justgiving.com, search for a mic on the podium, and make a one-off donation there. Details are in the show notes below. Today, I conduct a conversation with a Swedish conductor who's taken up conducting relatively recently and also relatively late in his life. He has already guest conducted with many high-profile orchestras, but is probably better known as being the preeminent trumpet soloist of his generation. It's a very great pleasure to welcome Håkan Hardenberger. Håkan, it's wonderful to see you and to speak to you today. How are you? I am fine, thank you. Great to see you too. Um, with everybody, I go right back to the beginning, Hawken, and ask them how music first came into your life. Do you come from a musical family? Um, how did it first uh, appear? Um, I don't come from a musical family at all, actually. I think all the records that were in the house were sort of James' last uh, dance records. And, yeah. and, but my father did... He did uh, like jazz, to listen mm. to jazz. And he... he once, uh, the night before Christmas, he was wondering what to buy for me as a Christmas gift. And he was walking the streets in Malmo and he remembered he'd been to a concert with Louis Armstrong mm. in the, back in the 50s. Uh, this was now, we're talking 1968, so it was not, uh, you know. Uh, anyway, he, he, so he went in and he bought uh, a very, very cheap uh, trumpet indeed. Uh, and they had to even mend it with, with sort of scotch tape. And, <laughs> and, 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 uh, but I, it was a real trumpet, which was very good. It was not a toy, you know. And, and uh, then they asked in the shop, uh, who could who could possibly teach and that was an incredible stroke of luck because they said oh well there's this uh, second trumpet of of the Malmo orchestra his name is Boo Nilsson and he then turned out to be become one of the great pedagogues uh, of our time and I was uh, you know eight years old and started to play the trumpet and lightning lightning struck wow that's amazing isn't it um fortuitously yeah. Uh, being introduced to a teacher such as that. And how long, I mean, I don't know what the Swedish tradition is. I mean, in this country, for instance, you know, above a certain point of the UK, if you play the trumpet, you're, you're, or the cornet, your more than likely first experiences on, in ensembles will be in a brass band. I don't know whether they you have those in Sweden or whether you would have been in town bands or like a wind band or or straight into orchestras. What were your first ensemble experiences? Well, it's funny because I mean, Bo's teaching was very very intense. First of all, he, I mean, we have in Sweden and we already had then a sort of system in the schools, but there you would get maybe 10, 20 minutes short lessons you know but his lessons they were they were one and a half hour and 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 very tough ones i, I remember my parents 
sitting in and listening to like the second one, but they they couldn't take it after that. They thought it was very <laughs> tough. But I I really I really loved it from from the and I guess there is the mystery of, of music for you. And and then we lived in a in a village and there was like a it was like a village band. We we don't really have in southern Sweden the, the the brass band tradition. There are a few brass bands, but not as heavy as in 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 Britain, yeah. and also not the wind band tradition that they have in let's say Norway. Yes, but, but we 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 did have a, a little village band, you know, with a sort of. A, the mayor played the tuba, and the, uh, one of my school friends played the clarinet. It was, was old. Uh, I think we were only about fifteen of us, but all through the ages. And I, I asked Boo if I can, can I, you know, can I join that? And he was very, very suspicious because he thought, you know. <laughs> Well, that out of tune playing would not do me any good at all. Uh, so it's, as long as I was very careful, I was allowed to join. So, so uh, I, I guess maybe even there, the, the sort of first um, soloistic seed was started. I mean, I, I thoroughly enjoyed playing with others, but, but I did not have all that many opportunities early mm. on. And they did form a little brass ensemble, like a sort of, Brass Ensemble Academy, um, the players from the Malmö Orchestra, and I did join that, and I, I did play in the summers in a few youth orchestras, but mm -hmm. but I, um, I practiced a hell of a lot. <laughs> I mean, I already when I was like twelve, I think I practiced about four or five hours a day. I mean, I really loved playing the trumpet, um, mm -hmm. and and also I think that was a particular quality of his teaching that he 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 made you really enjoy the sort of handcraft part of it um, and 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 to to yeah to feel joy in in the practice side yeah. of things and 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 so I, I got off to a good start in that way um well first I mean first of all the, the things that spring from to my mind there is you know if your second lesson is, is an hour and a half long and you're only you're under 10 years old already he's giving you he's giving you uh, lessons in stamina if nothing else um because i you know that's not normal is it for a sort of nine ten year old child to be playing the trumpet for an hour and a half in a lesson and then if you're practicing at the age of 13 14 for that amount of time again you're building up stamina you're building up your chops which you know that that's now a phrase used for in many aspects of life but it's actually really does belong to brass players you know to build up your chops um, I heard I heard a tremendous uh, compliment the other day from some American players. They said, "Hokan doesn't have chops; he has stakes." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wonderful! <laughs> that's the sort of compliment you don't mind telling about yourself, isn't it? That's great. <laughs> and so, so I'm assuming you stayed with this, that same teacher, um, the second trumpet of the Malmo Orchestra, all the way until you left uh, Sweden and went to the Paris Conservatoire and studied there. Yeah. So. The, you know, it, it kind of, I was with him for eight or nine years, but I wasn't, and then we end our, we have our normal uh, school until uh, ninth, nine years of, of regular school. And then we go to a high school and then to university level. I, so um, 
I was allowed to go straight into the Malmo Academy when I finished my nine years of, of school, but that was only to gain enough age so that I could go to, to Paris because mm. that was kind of uh, had been decided. It was, it was funny, we, we, we always thought I would go to Chicago mm. because that's where Adolf Herson was. And of the, course, yeah. The yeah. brass playing of the Chicago Symphony was really the, the model of the time. And, and you know, to, to orchestra playing was sort of the only option for, mm. for a trumpet player in, uh, in those days. So I, uh, I was even saving money in a, in a little bank book called the Chicago book and, and uh, saving money every week so that I could go to Chicago. And then I met uh, Pierre Thibault in one of those summer um, schools or summer courses. And, and, uh, and really, I thought this has to be. So and in, in a way, my parents, I think, were were happy because uh, it was a little easier to send yeah. a 17 year old to, to Paris than to Chicago. Mm. Even if I think it, it was still quite uh, courageous of them to send me to, to Paris at that age. Mm. So yes. I, I, that's, I entered the Paris Conservatory when I, uh, in 78. And when you were there, were you now already on, on a fast track to becoming what you eventually became, which is the you know, preeminent trumpet soloist, or were you like like so many people are at music college or at conservatory? Were you forced to play in the symphony orchestra on a Friday afternoon? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I can just imagine a trumpet section with you sitting on first trumpet. That would be pretty awesome. I mean, did, did any of that happen? And if so, you know, who at any point did conducting even enter your head at this stage? Were you? Oh, I mean, we will come to this much later, but, yes. but I, uh, I'm very, I'm really honored to be invited because I'm really the most accidental conductor you will ever have on your <laughs> show. Uh, no, I, I, I came to Paris and I, I still thought that you, you become an orchestral player. That's what you yeah. do. But the, I would say the one thing uh, with Thibaut's teaching was that he, he, it was limitless. So also in its demands. I mean, he, it was, he had a huge heart and he was the kindest person, but the demands were enormous. And, mm. and the, more he, the more he got, the more he wanted. And, and, then, and then already still in the first year, towards the end of the first school year, there was an international competition in Paris in the name of Maurice André. Mm. Mm. So Thibaut told me, you know, prepare the pieces of the first round and just to see what the competition is like, you know, just to, to learn. Mm. So um, I, I uh, did that and then I was retained to the second round. And there luckily it was some pieces that I had at least played before. And then, you know, we thought, nice, that was a good experience, thank you. And they were announcing the names for the final where you were supposed to play Jolivet Constantino. Mm. So we hear my name. <laughs> and I remember Thibaut looking under him, you know, he had these shades on and he says, This is Jolivet. You, you know the Jolivet Concertino? I said, No, I'm sorry. <laughs> we have five days. I like have, you know, so down, down in the basement of his house and, 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 uh, and try to learn the Jolivet in five days. 
but I did during that competition. I sort of I I got I suppose a little bit of poison in me that that people will I I noticed that people were listening to what I was doing, and and I. I had tried in, in school and, and in some amateur levels to, uh, to play in orchestras and I did feel somehow more comfortable um, playing all the time rather than waiting and thinking about how difficult it was. <laughs> um, so I, I so it started and then there was the Munich competition and, and, and so the competitions were, however, in a way, strange they are. I mean, they are good for some things. You make incredible friends for life. Mm. Uh, you, you you get a sense of where you are somehow. Uh, yes. And you get a sense of if people want to listen to you and you get a sense of having to learn 10 pieces at the same time, have them ready and what, what piece, how a piece is really ready, not, not sort of, ready as you think is okay for you know it's a completely different um, so that i learned with them and then with with the munich one i was invited to play in berlin and the philharmonic hall and i played the Haydn concerto and, and, and just the fact of my instrument being taken up by this other instrument the 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 beautiful concert hall and what that yes is, yeah, you know that, yeah. that that is the Stradivarius, uh, and and then I, when I did when that happened, then I was hooked. Then I thought, this is this is what you know I want my life to be. I mean, it sounds very much like you had a similar experience to two or three of the conductors I've interviewed here about competitions where they turned up. You know, Andrew Litton talks about thinking, I'll get through the, you know, I'll get knocked out in the first round, I'll have a week sightseeing in London and fly home. And quite a few yeah. of the, those conductors have said the same, you know, obviously some of them took the, the competitions very seriously, but some of them really did. They won it having entered thinking, well, if I get through the first round, it's a bonus. The other thing that you reminded me of was Daniel Harding talking about how conducting first really entered into his mind, which was sitting playing second trumpet in an orchestra and counting bars rest and thinking, well, if I had the score, I don't need to count the bars rest. And then he got hooked on work, trying to work out what the conductors were doing. But it sounds like you had the yeah. diff a different approach, which is, well, rather than counting bars rest and panicking about what I sound like when I come in. I'd just rather play all the time. Well, that's yeah. a perfect, perfectly uh, acceptable way. Uh, and, and then you, you left Paris and went to Los Angeles. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I went home, basically. Right. But I, I, yeah. I, knew, I knew I absolutely wanted to, to study with Tom Stevens at some point. Yeah. And he was, of course, the solo trumpet of the LA Orchestra. And he had a sort of control. He was also very much into to modern music. I, I already liked that side of things. And I knew I had to study with him. And I thought his control came, from, you know, maybe he was doing yoga or <laughs> maybe, he, you know, that it was like a mental control thing. Yeah. But it turned, it turned out it was all through reading music properly. Mm seeing structures, seeing, you know, uh, 
he would do crazy things, you know, tell me to transpose into some impossible key. And then he would count me in and then change what I should transpose at the very last moment. And I was not allowed to stop. So my mind would be going crazy trying to play the right notes, but he would insist on the phrasing. Wow. So, so, so almost like fooling the brain into, and then he had all these sort of, um, he calls them the Vacchiano rules from his teacher, but, and they actually go back to Louis Magère, who was a French trumpeter who came to play in the Boston Symphony. So, and they are sort of phrasing rules, if you like. And, and, and then I remember, because that's, probably when the, it came into my mind the first time, because he, he said, you don't really need this as a trumpet player, but the day you get stick poison, you will. <laughs> it's funny, and people give it all sorts of names, you know, stick poison. My friend at the CBSO, the timpanist, you know, he, he, really, he said to me, you've got stickitis, you have, you, yeah. <laughs> which is exactly the same thing. Uh, and, yeah. and, and of course, he was right. You know, um, I once I'd been bitten, it, it was, you know, there was trouble yeah. ahead, you know. Um, I never thought, I, I remember when he said that, that I, I laughed and said, oh, that's never, never, ever going to happen. And and for many, many years, it, it didn't. No. Uh, well, we'll, uh, come to, we'll come to when you first took your first sip of stick poison a little bit later on. Um, yeah. But, but going on there, you know, you, you go out and, and uh, be, start becoming, you know, the preeminent trumpet soloist, as I called you before. And, of course, what you're also very, not just Haydn's and Hummel's, what you're, you're, not, you're really noted for is commissioning and being involved with world premieres of new works. Um, Bert Whistle, I, in fact, I remember the first time I ever heard you play live, I was playing in an orchestra in Birmingham and you did Endless Parade by Harrison Bert Whistle. Uh, Takamitsu, Henza, Turnage, Gruber, another piece I've played in the orchestra for you. Um, how do you go about choosing, when you want to commission, uh, choosing a composer? I mean, people like Gruber you've worked with two or three times, but do you hear a new composer's music elsewhere, maybe on the radio or a CD or... Do people suggest to you maybe that that this new composer would, would be wonderful to write a trumpet concerto for you? How does it work? Well, there was one person in the very beginning of all this um, who turned out to be of, I think, as much importance as any of my teacher, and it it's turned out when I played. I think that was even my very first contracted concert as a soloist here with the Malmo Orchestra playing the Haydn, mm. they engaged as a conductor Elga Howarth. Yes, yeah. And Elga Howarth was, of course, a trumpet player who became mm. a conductor. And he also was the, the conductor who premiered Ligeti's Grand Macabre. He did all the Bert Whistle operas. He was very heavily involved with, with uh, London Sinfonietta. And, mm. and when I talked to him about my dreams for the trumpet. I mean, I, I realized that, that if I wanted to, to live as a soloist, a, a long life as a soloist, there was no way I could go around playing Hummel every week. You know, I, it, 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 I would be brain damaged. Yeah, um, exactly. And so I absolutely needed stories to tell, you know, actor, actor in search of a part. <laughs> uh, so to him, as he has put it, that was music to his ears. And, 
And he then, um, I'm sure he has never, he and Philip Jones, they've never ever sort of taken credit for what I think they did behind the scenes for me in the beginning. I mean, why why did BBC Proms engage me and, and commissioned a, a Gordon Cross concerto, mm -hmm. you know, for, a, for an unknown 25-year-old trumpet player? Uh, I think they must have had something to do with that. But then, very importantly, Gary played a tape, I think it was, of me uh, playing to, to Bert Whistle. Mm. And Bert Whistle had this idea of the endless parade. Yeah. And as you were pointing out before, one of my uh, things was that I have this stamina, I can, I can play for quite some time. And uh, so it suited his idea. So he had a, he had a commission for a piece by, by Paul Sacher in Zurich. Mm. And, and he, Bert Whistle said, well, I want to write this trumpet piece. And Sacher said, well, for whom? Well, there's the Swedish kid. Uh, and Sacher said, well, no way. Uh, he'd never heard of me, of course. Yeah, yeah. So, so Bert Whistle said, well, there's no piece then. <laughs> Which Good I thought- him. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, and of course that became the first incredibly important piece. Yes, yeah. And, 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 and still is today. I mean, it, it's a fantastic piece. I, it feels just as strong now as it did then. And, and, um, and then Gary was also the one to put me in contact with, with Hense, mm. with, with Ligeti, with Gruber, with Takemitsu. But of course, we also discussed a lot what I what I liked, and, 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 and uh, but he became someone who could really point me in their direction and introduce me, mm. which, which is very important. And then I think things have grown organically. You, you, I was in Australia playing Gruber, and there was Brett Dean, and you, yeah. you yeah. sit down and talk, and you, 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 you realize that you have the same aesthetics if you like yeah. you know I, I i was always one who wanted different trumpet concertos you know they should always write what they want but of course if you have the same aesthetic if if, if both if you like pulse and if you like uh, you know not talking about tonality but expressive intervals if you yes. want then you will easier find a common language. And then sometimes it's just nice to be confronted with something that is maybe not at all what you think you will like. And then you, <laughs> you might end up loving it. It's, uh, I, think, I think every single piece of the ones been written for me have, have a very different story. And I, I, try to be, I try to be very sensitive to how they want to work. I mean, Gruber wanted to discuss every little trick in the, that I could offer. And I happily offered to him because I knew he would make it into poetry. Mm. Um, Which he did. And, I mean, that area oh. concerto is amazing. Um, oh. I mean, I'm just about to say your choices of composers are, you know, in the pieces I've played, I remember playing when you've been the soloist, 
either BCMG or CBSO, you know, the Burt Whistle, um, Ariel, the Brett Dean piece, which I'm, the name escapes me, but I'm sure you'll tell me, you know, the, they're all they're all wonderful pieces. And as you say, they all tell a different story in a different way. Um, but yeah, that Ariel, it, I, mean, I mean, I love it all, but the, the, the second half, um, the when you're you're diving in and out of your music stand with mutes sort of clipped. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely amazing piece of music. But yeah, yeah you you pull slides out. You pull. You're playing a, a, a is it a Swedish cow horn or some sort? Yes, of cow, yeah, cow horn yeah, Swed yeah, yeah, cow, yeah, Swedish yeah. cow horn. Yeah, yeah. Um, amazing piece. Yeah, no, I I think you you. It's what I try to tell students also that that. that it's so important to try to, to build your palate, mm. you know, as, as a good cook would build his palate and, and, and to not just accept what's being put in front of you. And, and I think if I ever had any gift, I think that was possibly, uh, because I remember when I was very, very young trumpet player, you know, of course we, everybody idolized Morris Andre, but I also, yeah, but then I like, I like that, and and, uh, and I like I like Clifford Brown's dexterity in the jazz, and I like oh, and when Miles plays without vibrato, and I oh, the passion of Dokshitzer in Russia, and you know yes, I, I was yeah, so yeah. I was I guess I was building my palate, hmm. and I I remember saying that in uh, um, in an interview something that you know all these different you know what I wanted to what I wanted to. So when I came to Stevens in LA, he said, okay, I read that interview. The first thing we have to do is to have an operation made. We have to take away half of your brain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he sounds like a quite a character. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he was definitely. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to link in um, Elgar Gary Howarth in his conducting capacity because I, I seem to remember he was conducting when I played in that performance of, of the Burt Whistle in Birmingham. Um, my next question to you, and we're getting nearer and nearer the moment when you're injected with, uh, with stick poison, is you would have done that piece with him many times. Uh, I know also, for instance, you when you came to Birmingham, it was more often than not at the with Andrews Nelsons as as, as conductor on the on the podium, and the two of you are obviously very good friends. I'm sure you have other regular conducting collaborators. Did you through this time through you know the now your your career as a trumpet soloist? Were you aware of what they were doing and how they were handling orchestras? And and now, if you look back in hindsight, do you think do you know what? I know that I get that little trick from Andres, or I get that little trick from Gary Howarth. How did those those regular collaborators in, influence you? Well, very, very much. And I mean, mm. even even ones that were not regular collaborators, and even watching, you know, you learn a lot from what works, but you also learn a lot from what obviously doesn't work. Absolutely. <laughs> and 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 then as far as conducting comes, I mean, you, you know, from, from Gary, I certainly learned both as a player, you know, as a performer, mm. um, the, the calm, the, the collected calm and what that can create in sort of retained temperament that you can, I mean, you remember Gary, when if he, you, if he was getting 
angry. You know, you, it was like a volcano, but it would be calm and then it would explode. But yeah, I mean, yeah. mo it would mostly be calm and he would, he would always keep me very calm just before a performance, for yeah. instance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or, you know, I used to, in the beginning of my career, I used to stay with him and his wife, Mary, in, in London. And, you know, let's say I was going to play at the proms and I would be very nervous. And he had such good things to say. You know, you have to take for granted that you are in good shape. And even if you're not in your best, you still have you. So, you know, he, he had all these very calm, sensible uh, things to think about and I learned a lot of that from him mm. and what's also obvious is that the ones I mean of course there are principles of conducting but some of the best ones they make all the mistakes in the in that in that book and it's yeah. it's still and it still works fantastically well absolutely yeah yeah that you learn also and that's that's good for the I remember when I was starting to conduct and I, I, I said to Gary, do you think I should film myself? And he said, no, it's too late. <laughs> 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 Which is also good advice in yeah. a way, because yeah. if you get too self-conscious about how am I moving, what does it look like? Then, then you're already into the vanity trap. Yes, yeah. yeah uh, and you risk not conveying anything. I mean, I, I've seen videos recently of myself conducting that have been put up online from things I've done. And I look at them now as somebody who teaches conducting. I look at them and think, oh, God, what? You're doing this, you're doing that. Well, and I eventually have to turn them off because I, you know, I then start doing that vicious circle of analyzing my own, myself and thinking, well, rather than just being in the moment and doing it, which is, you know, what I've, how I've survived as a conductor now, you know, since 2005. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I use video a lot for teaching, but then that's because I'm giving them technical advice on on their beating, and it's and it's at the right stage. I think when it co there comes a, beyond a certain point, if you start looking at yourself again, it's it's dangerous. Um, but yeah. then you know, you look at Daniel Harding; he was telling me that he started having lessons again when he was thirty-five. You know, yeah, and he he changed. I mean, I worked with him before and after. Yeah, and he he has been also one of the the regulars where I really enjoyed, uh, and I must say his development has been incredible, uh, and I think you can learn from 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 all of them. I mean, yes. as we can learn from from almost all of our our you know if we are perceptive, we, we, you can learn from almost every situation, and of course, as you know, I mean the the, the most important of all in conducting is the psychology yes. between conductor and, and, and orchestra. And when you, you know, having been 40 years in, in, the, in between in that field of electricity, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I have noticed so many times when that goes extremely well or when that goes uh, very, very, very wrong because of a, an unnecessary rude word or, or not picking up that this orchestra does not function like that at all, or, 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 or um, yeah, or from the other side, you know, from from from. I mean, my wife works in in the re recruiting uh, business uh, as a consultant, yeah. and she says when I said I'm oh it's the first time I conduct this orchestra, 
And she said, well, it will be just like a job interview. They will have decided within seven seconds if they like you. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, to be honest, I mean, you know, I remember going back and in, in, delving into my memories of playing, you know, the 10, 15 on a Monday morning with a conductor we'd never seen before. Yeah. I mean, I I would be quite generous. I'd give them 15 minutes. Um, but I know, you know, I yeah. do know one of my friends who said that he saw the whole orchestra sort of drop their heads after one one downbeat in one one Monday yeah. morning, and that's yeah. how quick it can be. And it's brutal, that whole, well, guest conducting slash beauty contest, which is what it is to a degree, uh, or, or what it yeah. can be. So come on then, when did you first take that sip of stick poison? What was the first time you did it and thought, and then how did, did it, was it suddenly, right, I, I need to do more of this, or did you just think, it, did it just slowly grow and grow? It's it completely slowly uh, grew and grew. I, mean, I, I, I sort of never took any decision. It, it's, it's been like a, a, like a weed, you know, a, a plant that grows uh, uh, or a cactus. I give it no sunshine and no water and it's, <laughs> and it, it's still alive. Yeah. Uh, um, I think it started actually doing masterclasses mm. and, and making people play. Yeah. And, and noticing that if I was monkeying around in the right way, I could, I could infuse immediate energy yes. in yeah. the player. And there was a sort of joy in that, that, mm. that, that it's not necessarily uh, verbal, I am quite in teaching. I I I, I noticed. I liked to, to be physical like that. Yes. Yeah. And Use a lot of body language and hand gestures and yeah. And sing and so, yeah, yeah. So so then the next step, I guess, was also in in teaching. In that I would have little groups of players, and for instance, um, during doing Soldier's Tale. Or something like that, wanting them to play Soldier's Tale, or wanting them to play uh, the Gunter Schuller Symphony for Brass, and then, then I just tried if I could do that, and then, yeah. and then of course liking it, you know, then 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 enjoying. And there we come back to I think Tom Stevens again because. You know this when when we when we see a really good score, and and life kind of comes out of the page like mm. something in a in a Harry Potter movie. You know? That's right. Yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and that incredible way of then looking at the score and 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 seeing that life and trying to transmit it. I I think it must be very similar for somebody who's been an actor. Yes. for many, many years, and then starts to direct plays or movies, and, and to just look at the text, not more intensely or, or, or more carefully, but slightly different angles. Yes, you see with, yeah, I mean. with, with a different pair of spectacles on. Yeah, you, yeah. you see it yeah. differently. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I t completely agree. And it's a wonderful analogy. Yeah. And, and I, I um, also of course, over the years, I've, I've, I always felt a real big sense of responsibility from, from 
the, the position that was given to me as a trumpet player, you know, I, I, I had all these opportunities and I, I got to make records and I, and, and I remember one of my first tours in Germany where, you know, they wanted me to do the usual thing, you know, go around Germany and play three little Baroque concertos. And, and, and I thought, well, fine, I like the Baroque, but I want to have one new piece in there. And I told, I told the Schmidt agency that, you know, um, and they, 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 they started to look difficult. And I, and I remember asking Boo, he's, I said, do you think I should insist or should I back off and just do what they asked me to do? Hmm. And I remember he very well, because he said, he said, if you, if you don't do it, who's going to do it? Yes. Yeah. And, and, and from that day, I, that's how I thought about recordings, about, you know, to, to sort of balance that and, and try to see that, see to that, that we have a proper uh, repertoire. Mm. So I feel a bit the same about, about um, then conducting because having had that position and getting to know all these composers, it's almost like I have a, a set of keys and a responsibility because because the, the career conductors they have a lot of uh, pressure that you know oh, we want you to do a Mahler cycle or you, you should do all the so sometimes they can't program so freely no they can't that's correct absolutely yeah and and but they do have a, they do have a, a great uh, almost monopoly on programming and programming is is incredible fun i mean that's huge fun and then if i can use some of my keys and 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 the few times in a year that i conduct uh, do programs where, where some music will be played that wouldn't have been played otherwise or or will be put on the wall in a light where it will make more sense than if you just uh, did it in a in a reservoir for only that music or, yes. or, or yeah. um, so so that then became that became the the what i really take pleasure out of out of doing and other than thinking about videoing yourself and deciding not to on gary's very good advice um, <laughs> did you at any stage speak to somebody like Gary who you trust or you know even a friend like Andres Nelsons and say look just how am I doing am I conducting well what do you think I should be doing um did you seek advice or even go to a conducting teacher I don't know what what, what were your thoughts I, yeah I I um I mean I always spoke to Gary about things uh, and, and and there's sometimes I remember the very first being soldier's tale and and he he would have advised that you know, beware that page turn, yes, because that's always a what comes in the bassoon. There is however well you know the piece, that will always throw you off if you're not careful. That page turn, simple bits of and, advice like that are, oh, are the gold because yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And then of course you know around the time when I. I started to think about it more seriously. Um, Leif Segerstam was uh, chief conductor of the opera here mm. in Malmö. So one day 
I walk into the pit and he, he didn't want to leave the pit difficulties. Uh, he was eating his sandwich in his <laughs> stool in the pit. And, and I had played with him many times and, and he, uh, you know, I think he, we enjoyed each other's company, but, but uh, I woke up to him and I say, Hey Leif, um, I think I'm thinking a little bit of, about conducting, but maybe you could give me some advice. Because mm. he was, of course, teacher in Sibelius Academy. That's right, yes. Uh, and he said, why, why do you want to do that? <laughs> 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 yeah, and I, I, I couldn't really answer. But uh, so, <laughs> so he said, well, and I said, but you are the one to give me some advice. And he, he really resisted. He, you know, yeah. it, took me, it took me about 10 minutes to, to, to convince him that, no, I, I really would like to. So he said, okay, we start now. Yeah. <laughs> con conduct four. Mm. Four beats for me. So, you know, I had my, I had my, I also had my idea of what sort of conductor I was going to be. Yes. You know, I was going to be the organizer of tricky pieces. Mm. You know, so I wanted to have it be very clear. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And of course, Boulez was a, was a hero. So there I was going, you know, the three. Yeah, very, very, to... very clear crossbeat with the, with the yeah, with yeah. the hand. So, yeah. so, yeah. so Leif said, no, 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 no. There, there is there's no sound in that three. He said, <laughs> down, yeah. center. Second beat same, to the left, yeah. Se second, second, same distance. Across to the right for the third. Yeah. 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 Up, down. Yeah. And with his sausage fingers, you know, very. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> practice that until Sunday. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Just and four in a bar. Yeah. By, by this time, the orchestra is starting to come back into the pit. Mm. So there they see. You know, the chubby conductor eating a sandwich with the famous trumpet player in front of it. <laughs> Beating four in a bar. Or, yeah. Trying to work on it on the transition between the second and third beat of the bar of four. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so then, story. then he said, good, good. And then we meet in my flat uh, on Sunday. Yeah. So I come to his flat on the Sunday. And then he said, so what, what are you conducting? Yes. So I had this thing, I was going to conduct Dumbarton Oaks. Yes, yeah, yeah. So he puts on a record on D Dumbarton Oaks, uh, I think Pavoyarvi version, mm -hmm. and he sits down in his sofa and he said, uh, you conduct me and you give me all the cues. And, and uh, so we start and first he gives me a little again on, the, on that three and I said, yeah. yeah. So, and then we come into the busy bits of the changes. So he sits back and then he says, shit, you are gifted. And then, and then I felt like a little boy again. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I bet you did. When I, when I was, when I was playing the trumpet and, and someone said, yeah, you can you can do this. Yeah, oh, you know. So, so that was really that was, uh, and then with him, with Andres, 
with Gary, with um, some other people, I will always discuss um, scores. Yeah. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I was working here in Malmo with Martin Brabitz, and I know that he is, he's a good teacher. So yes. yeah. I asked him to have, have a look, you know, yeah. and see if I was doing something completely silly. And then he gave me a few of those exercises, you know, from from Russia. From the Moosin School, yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. you know, yeah. the, the cir yeah. circles and all that. And yeah. that was very good because when you get that sort of automatic movement into, you think less about it when you're, yes. uh, yeah. when you're, when you're doing it, so. Well, that's brilliant. I mean, that uh, the wonderful that Segstam took you under his wing the, after your 10 minutes of prodding and poking, and eventually he did. Um, <laughs> But that, you know, what a wonderful way to sort of learn and also to have these amazing people that you can ask and they're so willing to give you advice. I mean, uh, the first time I saw you conduct, I was still playing before I, it was before I stopped playing in 2014. And you came to Birmingham and you played and conducted the Haydn trumpet concerto with us and I was playing in the orchestra. Um, how much when you conduct during the year, because obviously you're still playing your concertos and still a soloist and very much so. But when, when you conduct... Do you still play and conduct a lot more than you than just conducting? Or, for instance, do you do concerts where you do the whole thing, you conduct the whole thing, but the concerto is you conduct you playing and conducting? I mean, how does it work for you? Do, and 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 if I take it a little bit further, um, have you got any thoughts about transitioning further away from playing the trumpet and more into conducting, or is that not even on the cards at the moment? It's very simple. My market value as a trumpet player is much higher than my market <laughs> value. <laughs> but but uh, as I said, I do enjoy uh, the programming side yes. of things. Yeah. So and of course, the the in the beginning it meant always playing and conducting, yeah. and then because I'm always slightly too ambitious in the. I would do. I, I do these crazy programs, and they, they. But they do take. I mean, those weeks are are killers because you have to keep in shape, which means so and so many hours still playing, and then entire days of rehearsing, and yeah. very often music that the orchestra does not have as a repertoire. Um, yeah. And it will be crazy programs. Um, I mean, I did one here. There was that very warm summer in eighteen, and. Yeah. And I was reading Stefan Schweig's The World of Yesterday, this incredible book. Um, and he talks about the outbreak of the First World War. Mm. And he says it was a summer without clouds. And the book goes on and he comes to the outbreak of the Second World War. And he said it was another summer without clouds. <laughs> and there I was in 18 and it yeah. looked like, you know, uh, the world was really and you know we are still worried about the world and and uh, so i i was thinking i have to express my my worry somehow and mm. I, I wanted to make a program so I, I i devised this program if you don't mind i will i will tell it because Go it's it, it, yeah. it, 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 it's that's how i'm i'm thinking about those programs uh, so i start with the homo concerto which is 183 things are fine you know yeah and then Perpetuum Mobile, we are, we are in Austria after all. So the, the Perpetuum, Strauss, yes, yeah, yeah. that goes straight into Gruber's Charivari. Yeah. 
where he takes the Perpetuum Mobile, but it's being uh, kidnapped by the brown shirts. Okay, right. uh, and and yeah. uh, and and it crashes, and and uh, you know, real disaster yeah. happens. Intermission. Webern, Pasakalia, then Krenik Fourth Symphony. Wow. <laughs> which is like like Mahler that's he sits in America and he writes this Mahler that's is wrong. Yeah. You know, it, it is really the world of yesterday that has gone wrong. So the idea of the program was was great. And I I told the program to Gruber and he said, that's completely suicidal. <laughs> 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 yeah, but I, I want I want to hear it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it went really. It was it was taken by Swedish radio. I don't know if yeah. it's still there in some on some site, but yeah. but 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 it it, it was. Um, but of course, a week like that really takes it completely yeah, can, out of me. I can imagine. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've tried. I try a little bit now to to get at least now and again a week where I then only conduct. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but um, we'll we'll see the the cac the cactus will the cactus will have the life that it will. You know, I, <laughs> my, uh, Thibaut in Paris he always said that that uh, for the trumpet, uh, one lifetime is not enough. Mm. <laughs> uh, and he, I think, he's very much right about that. Yeah. Um, I. And I suspect that it's the same with conducting. Yes. So whatever life that takes, it's it's for me it's like a, a bonus. In an earlier episode, I had the great pleasure of speaking to Barbara Hannigan, the soprano, who Along with you, I would imagine, I can't think of that many people who have commissioned so much new music, which means that at some point you will have received your, probably a, a full score, if it's an orchestral piece, with maybe a piano reduction and your own trumpet part, and you need to learn it from scratch. When you come to learn a new score to conduct, do you use a similar system? Uh, for learning it? Do you flick through it and look at the bigger picture and then go into details? Or do you use a completely different system for conducting as opposed to trumpet learning? And the other thing that the conducting geeks like to hear is, do you write things in your scores? Do you use colours and all of the you know hieroglyphics that I use? Or are you like other conductors I've spoken to who use nothing and they commit it all into their, their massive minds, which I frankly can't do. What do you do? I, I did... It's similar to what I did with the trumpet at the very first hmm. uh, stage because it's basically staring at it yes. for a long time. Hmm. And depending, of course, of it's something completely unknown or, or, or if it's known, but, but then at uh, that same time, it's um, also gathering all sorts of surrounding material yeah. that can be i mean reading reading appropriate literature listening to that all, all those sort of things and uh, i i if it's repertoire music i i do listen to a lot of recordings and and uh and see what i like and what i don't like and mm -hmm. and, and 
and then uh, and then comes the stage where I do I do write in, hmm. and I think then comes the more precise learning hmm. when yeah. I do that because then I look at at every bar and see try to see I mean I, we are there to help so how yes. how can I what's the best possible way to help here yeah. and without be becoming too much of a you know not helping in the way that it's you become a school teacher yeah. uh, so yeah. but but anyway I and I do write in I do have uh, some colors uh, not I mean I have blue and blue and red um, yeah like uh, uh, I, I, all of us color users i think blue and red uh, they mm. easily pop off the page i mean i use my colors and my when i write things in i think it helps me learn um yeah same here, same here. Uh, yeah so it, it, it helps you know, i remember uh, i can be in a rehearsal and i remember writing something in i remember how i wrote it in and where i was and what time of day it was and you know it just helps you Form, form your plans for some other conductors it doesn't work like that but i think yeah. you know wh whatever you do I, and i do this i do the same in my in the trumpet parts yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so it, it's a system that i have hmm. taken on also and and, and um and then I'll, if i have time i let it rest and and and, and come back to it hmm. um, that is an important part but it, it's rare rare that it happens yeah. yeah i agree with you i think if you can in my ideal score prep would be to start learning it six or nine months in advance before the, the when I have to conduct it in the concert, do the hard work then, and then leave it for two or three months, come back to it, flick through it, maybe add some more little things, leave it for another couple of months, and then the week before you open it and carry on, you just, and it sort of, by osmosis, yeah. works its way into me. You know, that's how I... Yeah. But sometimes you don't have that luxury as a conductor. You know, you get the and, phone call, can you come in three days' time? And you, you of course you say yes. You've got to learn it in three days. But Yeah. And I think very important for me in the preparation is also to have a very solid view of things, how I think they go, but also to be prepared for a completely unexpected ball being thrown at me. Oh, you know, yes. Let's, yeah. let's, let's say there's this wonderful oboe player in this orchestra who suddenly plays something that I've never heard like that, you know, yeah. and then, and then to, to be able to pick that up and, and throw it on and, and, and react. I think those are the most gratifying moments in music making. And, and if you're too stuck in, in, in your own opinion, then you deprive yourself of that. Absolutely perfect. And I love the analogy of being thrown a ball, you catching it and then throwing it on. I think that's mm. a brilliant analogy. And if you don't mind, I'm going to steal it. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but but, but that, to me, that's what conduct, good conducting or great conductors do, is that they take what comes at them, even if it's not necessarily their primary thought about how that corner of music or bit of music might go but then they take it and realize hey hey this is interesting we can now do this as a consequence or we can i can throw the ball in that direction rather than where i was going to throw it in a different direction and, yeah. I, and it means that you're involved with the music making on the stage and and as i wrote only this morning for an online lecture i'm giving later this week conducting is not about lear learning a dance routine that you might learn to go on strictly come dancing it's not that it's about having some ideas about what you might need to conduct at a certain time, but being totally involved in what's happening and, and being, as you said, ready to help if they need your help and then ready to step back out of the way if they, they don't need your help and just, you know, that's what it should be about. Yeah. 
Morgan, it's 10 questions time. So I will start at the beginning, as always. What sound or noise do you love and what sound or noise do you hate? I was thinking about that one. I mean, to most of your 10 questions, I will have too many answers. I'm one of those. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit like, like Van Gogh when in the letters between him and his brother, his, his, his brother asks him what painters he likes. Yeah. And he, he has a list of about 45 of them that he <laughs> really, really, really likes. And I'm, I'm a little bit like that, but, but I do love being at the beach in the summertime and almost slumbering and hearing, hearing the waves, mm, mm. the sound of the waves. And if then, there's also the sound of laughing children. There's no, nothing yes. that is so... You know, there's an old record with a Swedish singer-songwriter, and he he starts the mix of one of his songs with just ch children laughing, yeah. and and you immediately you feel hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that is, uh, and then I, I guess like everybody else, you know, I mean, bird song is also yeah. in that category. And a sound you particularly dislike or even hate. Me playing a wrong note. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. But then here, then now here's a serious question, Hawkins, because we're giggling away. But here's a serious question. If it's a world premiere, I know I know you're a perfectionist. Um, but if it's a world premiere and you play a wrong note, there's only two people, well, possibly three with the conductor, if the, you know, uh, there's only three people in the room who know that it's a wrong note that night. So it, in, at least in a world premiere, you could argue that you know that it matters slightly less. But I suppose, I suppose you're going to tell me no, it should matter all of the all of the time. It, it does matter all the yeah. time. But on the yeah. other hand, you know, that's the beautiful thing of music, isn't it? Yes. I mean, there is no such a thing as perfection. We, no. we, we, we uh, there's a friend of ours who who works also with sort of coaching people, and she was she was very interested in in the perfection of classical music because, mm. and, and that's what, you know, that's the misconception that also jazz players have about us, that we, we're all into the perfection side of thing all yeah. the time. And of course we are, we have to be, but we also make, I mean, every performance, even if I play a Haydn that people think is, is good, I will think that it's full of, of, of little, I mean, we, we make mistakes all the time. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Uh, that's so true. Yeah. And, and and we 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 hate it, but we certainly have to live with it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, the other, I mean, sticking with this for a little while, you know, going from being a player in the middle of the second violin section of an orchestra to then going to be a conductor, when you're playing in the middle of a section, and of course there are other instruments flying through your your airspace, like oboes and clarinets and trumpets from the back and all this sort of stuff. It's like being in the middle of an engine and you hear that there are springs that are complaining and you hear that there are valves that are maybe not working particularly well. You hear the little clicks and bangs and whirs. You then stand on the podium and you hear none of that at all. I mean, you might hear the mm. odd occasional clonk for, you know, to use the engine analogy and think, well, something's gone wrong there. But you hear much less of those tiny things. And it's the same, I'm sure, when you're a soloist, you think, well, I, I just clipped that note, or it didn't come. I didn't perfectly centre it. We, the audience, have no idea that you're thinking that at all. Um, no, but they, but they, I, I certainly yeah. shouldn't. And, oh, and, yeah, uh, yeah. and but and 
you know, it's a balance act because like, like Maria Callas said, you know, the audience hasn't paid to, to see us try. That's <laughs> of course is, is, is true. But yeah. on the other hand, I think we, in our education, we are not so good at handling this fact. I mean, there's yeah. too much, we, we want to be perfect and we should always try to be perfect, but there is such an obsession around it that has been made worse, of course, with, with recordings and, yeah. and, and that we are almost, I think it's part of the, uh, the problem why we as an art form have more difficulty in renewing ourselves yeah. as opposed yeah. to other art forms is our seeming obsession with, with perfection. Yeah, well, and, and as you said, it's almost impossible to attain it. Um, mm. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant, brilliant answer. So, from from a gig, from giggling about your original answer, we got to something quite deep and profound, which is yeah, th uh, Thank you, thank you. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> if you had twenty four hours free, what would you spend it doing? Again, I can't give one answer. I mean, I I, I find to be able to to give uh, as much as possible of myself. Um, in, in, in my profession. And even as a human being, you, you need to fill up, mm. you know. So whatever possibilities, I mean, I, I do read a lot, but if I am in a big city, you know, a big European city or American city where there is great, let's say great opera or great galleries, and I will search any possible way of having an experience mm. myself. Mm. Uh, of great art uh, to be able to fill up, but you know, and then I, you know, I, I, I love cooking and I love eating and I and I love nature and sport. I, I think, I think very much more that it is a, it's a sort of balance act that needs to be. You need to be able to listen to what you need at, mm. uh, at this time, to, so that the balance is not upset. You know. That's um, right. Yeah. Well, we may well come back to cook. Well, we will be coming back to cooking and eating uh, in question 10, as, as you well know. <laughs> <laughs> Who would be a favourite conductor of yesteryear? Kleiber is is the obvious answer. Uh, yes. I think ev everybody will say. Uh, and I think his idol, uh, Karajan, people don't maybe speak so much about uh, anymore. And... and uh, but I mean, some of those, especially, I mean, the early opera, the opera stuff from, from yeah. Italy. And uh, I mean, it's unbelievable. And, yeah. and uh, I often turn to Bernstein for there's some solutions in Bernstein. Charles Dutois, the, the recordings he did in, in Montreal of, of the French stuff. There's some very great things there. Mm. Um, I think it's endless. This, you know, I, I, I find it so interesting that they, what they did with time. Yes. I think they had they had more of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they had more of it in in uh, in rehearsal time. So in in a very practical sense, they had more time. That's very and true. They, uh, and they managed to fill that time without uh, looking silly. Uh, they also had. A different perception of time. They were living often a slower life. If we look a long time back, you, you 
took the boat to America and you that's right yeah, yeah. You, you know uh, and I, I think the whole perception of time was different and I, I find that very interesting to to listen to how how, how time is proportioned and, and uh, yeah. uh, I'm gonna let you get away with Charles Tatar because he is you're talking about recordings that were t made a long time ago but he is still of course still around so I'm gonna count that as one of your answers for the next question which is who would be a favorite current conductor I mean, I, I, we have mentioned some of the ones that I, I love working with, Andres yeah. and, and Daniel and John Storgartz. I think yes, we didn't. Yeah. I think he has the world record in trumpet concertos. Last time we, last, he's done over twenty different trumpet concertos with me. Um, I always enjoyed play, playing with David Zinnemann, who was mm. a fantastic accompanist. He, he would, if there was something in the text inviting to do this or that, he would just look over and, and sort of, are you going to do it or not? <laughs> it was really great. Um, Andres, Andres is like a, as you know, a volcano. Yeah. And you can, you can have the same, you know, huge concerto by Dean or, or Ariel and, and you've played it three nights in a row and you're going to play it the fourth night and you're starting to feel, God, you know, this is going to be, <laughs> Yeah. And then he comes on the podium and it's it's another volcano. What is the hardest work you have ever conducted? I think the difficulties are often unexpected. Yes. I, I find one one of the most difficult pieces I've ever conducted was the Nielsen flute concerto. Mm. Because it's it's such a surprise all the time what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And then I I haven't done a lot of it, and I, I don't know that I will because I found it hugely difficult. It's Mozart, which everybody says it's so crystal clear, but where Beethoven is, is so solid in his mathematics and periods, yeah. Mozart is, never is. No. And, yeah. and, and, and uh, which also, I, 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 I love that fact that, you know, because people who, who don't like any music written after Sibelius or, you know, con considered uh, Rachmaninoff for modern music, they will say, well, I don't understand it. Mm. Meaning that we understand Mozart. <laughs> I really don't. Yeah, it's, you know, it, I mean, it, it is gorgeously beautiful and it sounds like nature itself, but it is so unexpected what happens. It can be like trying to catch water, can't it? Um, to try and yes. get, get it exactly how you hear it, how, you know, of course there's these cliches about it needing to be crystal clear and, uh, and you know, clean and tidy and all of that. It's not that, it's something else. There's something else you've got to catch and it, and it's, it's, it does make it so hard to, to do. Yeah. Mm. And, and then you can argue that, well, all those qualities should also be in a, in a new piece or in a Stravinsky score or whatever, that, that on top of that has the changing meters. And yeah. I, I think I think all music is potentially very, very, very difficult. When traveling abroad to conduct, what item could you not leave home without? It's the easiest question of all, my trumpet. 
<laughs> so even if you're just going to conduct, you would take oh. the trumpet with you. Yeah. Of, of course, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, um... you wouldn't just take a mouthpiece to keep your chops sort of vaguely in order. You would actually take the trumpet and practice. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I need much more than that to mm. not have too much uh, backwater. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I really and and I I like it. You know, it's it's part of the health yeah. health system. Yeah. yeah. Are you one of those people who, uh, if you went on a two week holiday or vacation with your family or just you and your wife, would you still take your trumpet with you then? If I if I plopped you in the middle of the Maldives for two weeks on an all inclusive holiday, would you still take your trumpet with you then? Yes, because yeah. yeah, because my wife would force me to do it because she says if you don't, you're such bad company. <laughs> 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 no, I, there's something you know. I, I actually I used to be when we had, when the kids were small and we, we would do this summer. I I could take longer times um, off and I knew exactly what to do and and all that. Now I just find that I accept the fact that I am more or less a walking trumpet and I, I feel more complete. If I, yeah. even if it's on, a, or if it was in the Maldives, I would probably only do just half an hour in the morning and get it done with just to keep everything soft yeah. and, 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 and not having to worry too much. Uh, it's, it just keeps me again. I try to keep the balance somehow. What is the one thing you would change about being a conductor? Well, I first have to become one. I, I'm not. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, let's change the let's change the question slightly for you. What is the one thing you would change about the conducting profession? Ah, <laughs> I've stumped you. <laughs> no, no. This this is. Um, I think is is very important. I I I think that conductors have become almost too important in that never before in music history were the composers the composers so unimportant yeah yeah and the conductors so important it's been like a shift in in the in the food chain well how many times do you see a cd cover now where the conductor's name is the in the largest font of all then possibly the piece, the pieces that are on the CD, and then the composer's in the name is in the smallest font of all, which is yeah. completely wrong. It should be yeah. totally round the other way. And, and also, the I mean, that was, as I said, that is one of the reasons I, I like doing it is to have the possibility to to do programs, yeah. because that is very much in the power of the conductors now. And I, I think. With power comes responsibility, and, and uh, it's a difficult balance to, to yeah. So, I think we need to think about that one. How 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 important are should conductors be in wow. our, in the music? Composers should all conduct or or play. Mm. I, I think is very important. I think I think the organic side of music life is 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 very important if possible we should all compose and, and play and conduct and, and so then we understand each other and it, it then the plant will grow better and we will stay as a uh, art form and then we'll all have 
you know, two cactuses, one either side, whether <laughs> it, whether one of them is a conducting cactus and a composing cactus, and you're a player yes. or whatever. You yeah. Know, yeah. Absolutely. And, and I mean, look in history of what composers, where the music has really remained, mm. uh, with very, very few exceptions, they have been active musicians in one way or the other. Yeah. Conductors or players, uh, and, and uh, I think it's necessary. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I always said that I, you know, I, I would, um, I could have a restaurant at some point. I, I do, I do, I do like to um, make people happy with, with, with food. Uh, <laughs> but again, there is no, when I turned 50, there's, also in, in cooking, there's no shortcut. I mean, when I, when I like music, I must tell you the story. Mm. When, I, when I turned 50, my, my son Martin um, organized for me to be like the lowest uh, level in one of the best restaurants in Malmo yeah. for, for two days. Like, like a, so I walk in in the morning and this, the, the chef there, he had no idea who I was at all. <laughs> So, but I had eaten in that restaurant several times and I, and I was confident and I said, you know, oh, well, I can probably do that in, or that dish in, in the evening service. And so, and so it was nine in the morning and uh, what, what can I do? I said, so he comes and he has this big barrel of, of peas. <laughs> he said, you can split these peas. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> so that took, you know, same at the time we were talking about food, I really learned a lot. Yeah. But, but uh, then, I, oh, I'm done, I'm done. Uh, what can I do now? And he comes with a second one. <laughs> and, and it became very clear that no shortcuts into his kitchen. No, 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 no. no. And then we talked about all sort of base things and his deliverers came in and, and I could see his menu forming in his, mm. in his head. And I learned a hell of a lot in those two days, but I never cooked in the evening, no, no. you know? And this was funnily enough, it was around the same time as Leif with his four beats. With his four and about, yeah. So sp sp split the fees, piece and, <laughs> and do, the, do the four and a bar. And did uh, the chef ever find out who you were? Yes, he was terribly embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> well, an answer could never possibly ever be um, give a better segue into question 10, which is if the world were to end tonight, what would be your choice of final meal and drink? Well, it would be the company, you know, I, of course, uh, yeah. uh, for sure. And then... We would certainly, we would certainly drink champagne to celebrate, uh, yes, life yeah. itself. And uh, I would have oysters, but not everybody likes oysters. Uh, I, I, I love them very much. Uh, so maybe that's the answer. I don't know. But you're right. The company is important, and champagne that, and oysters is. Yeah, I'd be with you. Um, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds wonderful. Hawken, what a pleasure it's been. Uh, I know we've met previously in the past. In fact, I vividly remember the first time I'm meeting you, you were playing 
the trumpet part in the Shostakovich uh, concerto, uh, the piano concerto with the trumpet, and you were sitting directly in front of me, uh, blocking <laughs> my view of the conductor. Um, and, you know, I had a good chat, and I've met you on numerous occasions since, and it's been uh, a real joy today. Thank you for coming on, and I hope to see you very soon. I hope to see you soon. I hope we come back to, to real life music making soon. Yeah. And can, can I end with a quote of something very uplifting that I heard the other day? Yes, please do. Which I think has to do with how we will meet again. Mm. Uh, it says, life, life is not about waiting for the clouds to pass. Life is about learning how to dance in the rain. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's wonderful. So I hope we will dance in the rain soon, Mike. I'm sure we will. Thank you. <laughs> A Mike on the Podium was devised and produced by Michael Seal with music by Ben Dawson. Next time, I chat with a conductor who has been one of the major figures of British classical music life, as well as across the globe, for the last 40 years or so. He's held title positions in the UK, US, Canada and Australia in both the Concert Hall and the Opera House, as well as conducting the last night of the proms on no fewer than 12 occasions. But until then, bye-bye. Bye. -bye.